it's one of the most important things for any team, really. There's, of course, the technical ability of a team, but the character and the, the culture, as you, you mentioned, I, I think are fundamental to high performance. How have we done that? Uh, I would say it's a, a consequence of small things we do every day. So uh, I, I don't think we could look at one moment or one decision in isolation and say that's that, that's been fundamental. For example, we have a culture now, but that culture is at risk every time you make a decision, every time a new player arrives, every time a player drops out, because the the reaction to those events that happen and the conversations that happen around any of those events, that's what sets the culture. So yeah. I've often heard people say, you know, culture's about the things people do when nobody's watching. And I think that's a good uh, way of explaining it because if we walk past that crisp packet that's lying on the floor, we accept that there's mess and we all live and walk through it. You know, I, I walk past railway stations and I'm appalled sometimes that those small things and that's because somebody's decided it's too far to go to put it in the bin and then everybody else has walked past and not done anything about it and then we end up with something that actually nobody in an environment nobody enjoys living in so so they're the things that i think our staff set we you know we have a big staffing group like most sports teams now you could we we feel it's important to have experts in every field but that means more people and so they've got to be the right types of character they've got to be team players not too many high ego I I don't say no high ego because you need people with ego to succeed but I think our staff set the culture because the players then come into the building and they will they will pick up on the vibe what's accepted and expected by everybody around them I noticed in the last international break um Luke Shaw, among others, talked about how glad he was to be back with your squad and enjoying being with that group of players. You seem to have got a sense of this is something that players look forward to, where, whereas sometimes you look further back, the internationals were seen as a bit of a distraction from club rivalries. But that sense of a positive attitude to the squad, there must be something they're doing as a group. I don't know if it's the leadership of Harry Kane and Jordan Henderson. I don't know how you communicate with the group as a whole. Are you in touch regularly with the more experienced players in the group, for example? Well, I think you're right. I think the senior players are always an important part of that. When we talked about culture, we've now got, I think in the November camp, we had seven club captains. Right. Um, That's amazing. And that that didn't include Kane, who captained us in the first match, or Sterling, who captained us in the second. (laughs) So... Normally, people are captains of their club because they have that broader view, that team uh, pers- uh, perspective, and they generally do things right every day. And um, we have a lot of players that do things right every day. And that means when the new ones come in, firstly, this is a group that make them feel at ease and they spend time with them and they help them settle off the field which allows them then to perform on the field. But also they they look around the gym or they look around the training pitch and these experienced players are doing the right things every day. And that's a a very important aspect to the the environment that's created. One of the things we've debated in the technical advisory board and that that I know you've thought about is 
when you get to the tournament, you've got a squad of 23 or 27 players or however many it's going to be this time. Uh, but once the tournament gets going, some will be regularly being selected for the team and some will be on the fringes. They'll still be in the squad. They may be on the bench this time with the whole squad. We'll see how that goes. But how do you motivate the players who aren't getting a lot of game time? It's less about how you motivate them, more about how you manage them uh, right. and and make sure that they feel valued and that they're they're ready for when, when they're needed because it looks as though we're going to stay with five substitutes for the foreseeable future within football. So whatever the starting 11 is, if you've got extra time as well, that five can become six. So over half the team that finishes the game, different to the 11 that started. And that's a new dynamic for us in football, which means that everybody is potentially involved until you put that last substitute on. So they've got to be ready. They've got to know their job. They've got to be mentally in the right space. And equally, those guys who the morning after the game haven't been on the pitch, I know that's a difficult space to be. And I was in Japan in 2002 as part of the squad and I didn't kick a ball. And I know that was a much harder mental challenge than 1996 when I played every minute of every game. And 1998, when I was a first choice and played quite a lot of football, although got an injury during the tournament. And it's important that the behaviours that help the team are really praised and highlighted. You know, those guys can make a huge difference to the success of the team because if they're a selfish group and they draw energy and they draw attention and they draw time then um, then it's much harder for the whole group to succeed <laughs>